we'd like to take our scripture reading this morning out of the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 21. And Paul's writing to the church in Philippi here, and uh, and he's expressing some things to them. And, uh, and, and the title that I'd like to use for today is a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. And that's going to come out of some, another passage of Scripture, but it's going to tie in here. Paul writing here uh, in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence... I know that I shall abide with and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, uh, that your that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that neither I come and see you or else be absent and may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. And I'd like to stop right there. That's the 21st verse through the 28th verse of the first chapter of Philippians. And again, we'd like to use for for a thought this morning, a three-four cord is not quickly broken. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi here, and one of the things that he is really talking about uh, or expressing to them is the importance of fellowship between the church. And, and we see that expressed in the third verse of this first chapter when he says, uh, when he says, speaking of his very memory of the memories that he has of them, he says that he thanks God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And, you know, that's something that is absolutely necessary for us, isn't it? Uh, it is fellowship in the gospel, fellowship with one another, with brothers and sisters. And we're, we're going to have a period of fellowship here uh, after after service. Um, but it is something that's absolutely vital. Isn't it? And I don't know that we necessarily look at it with that type of attitude, that, that the fellowship that we have one with another is absolutely vital and necessary to our walk with the Lord. And we can look at what Paul wrote here. And Paul is, is, is really here, we start in this 21st verse, and Paul is really going to give you the selfish side and the selfless side, isn't he? And the selfish side of Paul says that if I were to have my way, uh, I would much rather depart and be with Christ. And, and so what's he saying here? See, I'd rather go ahead and die and go be with the Lord. Uh, that's what my preference is. Nevertheless, 
That's not what the Lord has tasked me to do, is it? So the selfish side of Paul would rather go be with the Lord, but the selfless side of Paul uh, says, but it's more needful for me to remain here for you. And not just for the church at Philippi, but for the church at Thessalonica, the church in Rome. Uh, Paul had laid upon his shoulders the care of all the churches, which is what the Bible teaches us. Uh, and so one of the things he's pushing here is this idea uh, that uh, this church here at Philippi, that they would continue steadfast in their faith uh, and that they would be one united body. Well, you can't do that if you can't fellowship one with another, can you? And a lot of times today, what we have represented, and you can see this represented in the country, I can really boil down the United States in really one simple allegory, and the United States basically consists of two men that don't want to be friends with each other anymore. (laughs) They don't want to play ball together anymore. Each one wants to take their ball and go home. Well, that's not the way that the church and the kingdom of God is supposed to be uh, represented of. Uh, but Paul says, I'm in a strait betwixt two. I have a desire to, to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. And that's why he says that the, that death is great gain, uh, which is for me to, to live as Christ and to die is gain, because to be in Christ's presence uh, once we die, to be absent from the body is to be present from uh, to be present with the Lord, which is what the Bible teaches, is what Paul wrote. Uh, and so we see him going on here. And he touches on this point. He says, uh, uh, in the 27th verse, and we're gonna, I'm gonna take this back half of the verse here first, and then we're gonna come back to the beginning of it. But he says that, uh, that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And if you had to ask me, and you had to say, well, well, brother, brother Fugate, why is, why is it that churches are not seemingly demonstrating the holy power that they once did? And I would argue that it, that is the main reason why within the body of churches, uh, we've allowed too much of the selfish side to come into our, our minds instead of the selfless side. Uh, and far too many instances, we're far too worried about what we want rather than what's best for the church and elevate that. What is it that the Lord wants is what we really should be asking and saying, whatever it is that the Lord's will is, that's my will. Uh, and, and, and suppress that that need that we get our way. Uh, but we see that exemplified time and time again nowadays. Uh, but let's look at the Scriptures and let's see what the Scriptures say. Uh, because that mindset says that I don't need anybody else. My way's right and I'm going to fight for my way. Uh, and that's what society teaches us today, isn't it? Uh, society teaches us far too often, uh, that we should be able to stand on our own two feet. We should be able to do this, that, or the other. Uh, but uh, but we, that's not necessarily the truth. Uh, we would like to believe that we can just walk through life on our own and we would be perfectly fine. We would like to believe that we would be perfectly fine if we stood on the strength of our own two feet and said, I'll fight, I'll walk. That's usually what we glorify in movies, isn't it? Is this idea of somebody's this loner who stands alone and, and, and brings things about. You watch most movies. That's usually the type of personality that gets glorified. I watched uh 
I watched Maverick about a month ago. And I'm a I'm a I'm a top gun I'm a top gun guy. Right, but Maverick embodies that, isn't he? He's this wild, uh, wild card cowboy, shoot from the hip kind of guy, and that's the kind of guy that we usually, you know, think of as, you know, a hero. Uh, but that's not what, that's not how we get through life, is it? And Paul knows that. He's writing to the church at Philippi, and he knows that if that's the kind of mindset that you're going to have as a body, you're going to fail. We're going to go back and look at a few pieces of Scripture. We're going to look first in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We can't walk alone, can we? It's a foolish air it's a fool's errand to think that you're going to walk through life alone. And I'm going to prove that by the way. But God created man a social creature. And this gets exemplified time and time again in studies. Man, you want to talk about what was the real cost during the two-year COVID shutdown. It was that the social creature that was man. Why are we seeing so many things go haywire now? And it's because the social aspect got stripped away, and when people are left to themselves, they go mad. They go mad. We need that friendship. Notice, it doesn't say friends, plural. When I was was younger, I had um, so many friends. As the older you get, what you'll find is that circle of friends gets smaller and smaller, doesn't it? It may be two or three, it may be one, but it it gets tighter, doesn't it? The younger you are, you're casting a broad net. You want to be friends with everybody. But the older you get, the re- you realize a friend is not necessarily an acquaintance. An acquaintance is not necessarily a friend. There is a difference between the two. And here the Bible says that a friend loveth at all times. Now, if you have somebody who when you fall into some kind of issue or you have some kind of trial and they turn their back on you, I'm going to say this, they were never truly a friend. <laughs> They weren't. They were never a friend because a brother is born for adversity. And that's the correct viewpoint of a friend, isn't it? And so as you look at that, we have a lot of friends here in the church, don't we? And we should view each other that way. And when adversity falls upon one, adversity falls upon every one of us. But I'll say this, if you go over to the 18th, the 18th chapter of the division of Proverbs and you read the 24th verse, it's a fact too. It says the man that hath friends must show himself friendly. <laughs> you're not going to have very many friends if you're, if you're rude. <laughs> there were some other things that maybe popped into my mind there, but rude is the best word I could choose there. 
But if you're going to be rude to everybody around you, you shouldn't find it exempt. You shouldn't find it exceptional that you're alone. But if you're going to have friends, you've got to prove yourself to be friendly. And the second half of that verse is this. And there is, uh, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And we know that, of course, to be Christ. Christ is a friend that died on the cross of Calvary for each one of us. But uh, not just Christ. We can go into the 18th chapter uh, of the book of 1 Samuel and we can read about an instance of this. And it was where they weren't flesh and blood. Actually, the flesh and blood uh, of this one individual had turned on him because of jealousy. Uh, but here you have this individual whose father would grow, eventually grow to hate him. Uh, you have his son who they he have such a great admiration for each other. And that is uh, Jonathan and David. Uh, and we read here in the in the first verse of 1 Samuel 18, and it came to pass that when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that's David. After David had killed Goliath, and David had asked him where he's from, and and, and after David had gotten done telling him where he was from and why he did what he did, and he had finished speaking, it says that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Jonathan loved David more than David's brothers loved David. And you say, well, how can you say that? Well, Eliab had already questioned David about why he'd even come down. Amongst his flesh and blood brothers, there was some jealousy, weren't they? Because each one of them were older, but it was the younger that was pegged to be king. And so there was some jealousy there. But here's David and Jonathan. Jonathan sees David and hears David and, and has a great love toward David. Uh, and uh, and it was a great friend of David the rest of his life, and uh, and it says, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and uh, and I've I've been I've been ex- fortunate to have some friendships like that through the years, and uh, and so we see here in the book of Proverbs that you know you got to have a friend to get through hard times, don't you? Now. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and that's Christ. And Christ will certainly help you get through those hard times. And, and as we think about that, I think about the footprints analogy, uh, where it says, when those in the tough times, that's when I only saw one set of footprints, and the Lord says, that's when I was carrying you. And so God helps helps us get through those tough times. He does. But I'll tell you right now, we need people that we can rely on, don't we, too? We would love to pretend that we can be an island out there and that we can handle everything on our own, but we would be fooling ourselves, wouldn't we, if we were to say such a thing? And I'll give you an example of that. And uh, and 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 uh, <clears throat> the, the Solomon, King Solomon, wrote about it in the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter four. We're going to look at four verses here, starting in verse eight. It says, "There is one alone, and there is not a second. In other words, an island, right?" It says, there is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Yet is there no end to all his labor. Neither, in his, neither is his eye satisfied with riches. And this is describing somebody who's decided he's going to go off on his own. He has forsaken having family. He has forsaken having friends. Uh, and and so what does he do? He tries to fill up that void with 
riches, doesn't he? And so he looks what he says. He says, neither is the eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This, this Solomon says, this is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. And, and it is. Because then he goes on and he juxtaposes that in the next verse. And he says, two are better than one. What's a lot easier? Why didn't the Lord send the apostles out two by two? Have you ever thought about that? Why did he send them out two by two? If they're called of the Lord and the Lord's with them, why didn't he send them out alone? You know, oftentimes when we send a missionary out, we send him out alone, don't we? That's not biblically accurate, is it? Jesus didn't even send him out alone. He sent him out two by two. Why? Solomon's going to tell us why. Solomon's going to tell us why. Number one, two are better than one. The, the word of two is greater than the word of one, isn't it? Why do so many, why do so many outreach efforts fail? Because you've pinned it all on one guy, and when one guy gets turned away, because you can always dismiss one as just a crazy guy who's out there going on, spouting about himself, but you get two or more together, and then you've got a little bit more weaponry to deal with, don't you? You've got more evidence. That's really simple to say. Uh, what is faith? but the substance of things not seen or the evidence of things not seen. And so you're sending somebody out there alone, it's, they're, they're going to fail probably. Uh, so he, he continues on here, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Verse 10, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. Why did God send them out two by two? Because they were, he was sending them out to a very difficult work, wasn't he? And one's going to get discouraged and the other one's there to remind him why they were going along forward and pressing on with the work, isn't he? The other one's there to encourage him. Maybe he's there to stimulate him, isn't he? Now, I got some brothers in the Lord that I really hold dear to me and precious to me. And I'll tell you some of the best times that we have together is when iron is sharpening iron. <laughs> we like to really get in the weeds on some things and we like to really get down and dirty on some issues that are in the scriptures and really talk them out. Because if you want to get to where you're really sharp in your theology, you better find somebody who has a little bit of a different viewpoint than you because it's going to force you to dig in the scriptures more and to be able to defend your position or it's going to cause you to have your position corrected. <laughs> One of the two. One of the two. But they can stimulate each other, can't they? 
And I guarantee you, those, those apostles that were sent out two by two, they got stimulated in their conversation, didn't they? In their fellowship in the Lord. And that's what really Paul's telling the church at Philippi to do. Be of fast, be of one mind, and be of one accord. When you have differences of agreement, talk it out. Make sure that you're one body. And so that's what we have to have if we want to be successful. If we want to see souls saved and converted to the Lord, they have to come into contact with a group of people which God manifests Himself amongst. I were two or three are together. There I am in the midst of them. But it's God who does the work. But man needs to see, don't they? And they have to hear. They need to see examples of people living by faith. Listen to what the church, listen to what Solomon wrote about the person who stands alone. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth. You know why? Because there's nobody there to there. We have this idea and this mentality. Well, you know what? You need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Do you know that's not scriptural? <laughs> Do you know that's not a scriptural statement? Solomon just said it here in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. Woe unto him that is alone when he falleth. Why? For he hath not another to help him up. A brother who's weak and, and overtaken in a fault, what, is the, what are the, those that are strong in the Lord supposed to do? They're supposed to help him, aren't they, to recover. In the 11th verse, he says, again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but if one, uh, but how can one be warm alone? And then finally, in the 12th verse, we'll finish up with this. It says, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And this is where I took our, 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 our topic from this morning. And a three-four cord is not quickly broken. And you've got to remember, why is Paul writing all these letters to these churches? Because Paul, whether it's Ephesus or Colossians uh, or Colossae uh, or, or, uh, or whether it's Thessalonica, whether it's Macedonia, whether it's Philippi, whether it's Rome, whatever, wherever the location of the church is, the last thing that Paul wants to hear of is that a church has ceased to exist, isn't it? So I always like to point to this reference here. Uh, several years back now, uh, Fairview Memorial had a winter Bible study, and they, this was back when they still had two sessions. And one session they had dangers from without for the church, and the, another session it said dangers that are from within the church. And if I'd had my druthers, I would have just had the whole both sessions be dangerous from within the church. And now why is that? Because a church that is united, and that's what that, that's what that verse really means. Right? Is, is when you have a, a, a cord and it's three cords and they're bound together, you can't break it, can you? 
Or use this analogy. We used to use this analogy. One pencil you can break. Two pencils you probably can break. You get three or more pencils maybe hooked together with a rubber band, try to break them all at one time, you're not going to be able to do it, are you? They're stronger together, aren't they? And that's what the that's what Paul's really teaching the church here is that you are stronger together as a church than you are against each other. And so times of fellowship are very important. The times that we sit down and we break bread and we talk about the things that are going on in our lives are very important. If we want a strong church, then we need a connected church, don't we? Not this disconnected combobulation that the world seems to sell today. When you read about the church in uh, the early days, you read about that early church there in Jerusalem. They had all things common, didn't they? They ate together. Uh, they uh, uh, they spent t- a ton of time together. Uh, they were They were intimately aware of what was going on one with another. And this is where Solomon writes and he says, and if one prevail against him, against one of them, then there's two or three more to withstand them. And a unified church is a church that can withstand every danger from without. I believe that with my whole heart. We're going to look here. And I've talked about this already, about Jesus sending out the apostles two by two. Well, what, what, what was the necessity of that? Well, let's look at the work that he was sending them out for. In the 10th chapter of Matthew, in the 16th verse, he says this, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. What do you mean you sending me forth as sheep in the midst of wolves? And remember, he said, take neither purse nor script, take nothing for yourself, uh, and receive that which if somebody, you know, if it's offered to you, receive it. Uh, and so here, uh, he, he tells them, uh, I'm sending you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now that doesn't change, does it? Now this was, this was early in the ministry of Christ. And he sent those out to who? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But that doesn't change. How we approach the, the work in the Lord doesn't change. We're still being sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves, aren't we? But this was a training ground, and this was a proving ground for what the for the attack that the Lord was going to launch on the household and the stronghold of Satan. Matthew chapter 16. Whom do men say that I am? Well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Borjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, that he's the Christ, not Peter, but upon this rock that I will build my church, and the gates of hell 
shall not prevail against it. And you know what? Now, we oftentimes look at that as the church being a, de- a defensive posture nowadays, but that's not what he's saying there. The church is not in a defensive posture. The attack was being taken to the stronghold of Satan. And you say, well, where was that? That was where all the pagan religions dwelled. And one by one by one, they fell. Why? Because they couldn't overcome the threefold cord that had manifested, manifested itself against them. That was the Father and the Son and the Spirit. In the, in the, in the personage of the churches in Philippi, in the churches in Thessalonica, in the churches in, in Rome, in the churches in Ephesus and Colossae and wherever else it was found, uh, in all of those places, one by one, the attack was taken to the stronghold of Satan and they closed the gates, but they could not prevent it just as Jericho could not prevent its downfall by closing its gates. Neither could the kingdom of Satan prevent the downfall that was before it because of the onslaught of some sheep. <laughs> because they were bound together by a threefold cord, weren't they? They were in unity, not only with one another, but they were in unity with God, and they brought that forth, and they attacked the Lord, and that's what we need to do today. Uh, we need to stop acting like uh, we are in this defensive posture, and we need to get into an offensive mindset, don't we? And we need to start taking that gospel that God has given us, and we need to make sure that it gets uh, preached and proclaimed everywhere we go. And you say, really, everywhere? Well, you read the, about the persecution that befell the church there in Jerusalem, and when they, were, when they were scattered in every direction, in every direction they went, they went proclaiming Jesus. Well, if we're not willing to suffer for Christ, we ought not be surprised when we don't see, when we don't see evidences of the fruit, should we? You know, that's what Paul, and we're going to finish up with this, but that's one of the things Paul touched on. Um, that's one of the things Paul touched on in uh, in the book in Ephesians here, or in Philippians, I'm sorry, in Philippians. First and foremost, he said, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, show yourself to be a light unto the world, right? Those things that are ungodly that the, the people around you do, don't do them. I always tell young people this when they ask me, well, how do I let my light shine in the day that we live in at school and all of these things? And I said, it's really very simple. I said, because you're overthinking it. I said, when sinners entice thee, my son, when sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Uh, Just don't agree to do the things uh, that you know you're not supposed to do. And do you know what? You will stand out before them as somebody uh, that is different from them because you don't partake in those things. Boy, you can't be a partaker in the things of the ungodly and then expect to be seen as some embodiment of light, can you? But then he says this. 
when he talks about the importance of their being of one mind and one spirit and striving together in one accord in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that being in that mindset, they would be terrified by nothing. Not by any adversary. Not by Satan or anything that could come before them because here they are of one peace and one mind and of one accord. And that's why I said uh, that if the church is of one accord and of one mind and it finds itself in one spirit, that there's nothing from without which can really do any damage to it because they're not looking to it. They're looking at Christ, aren't they? And they're looking at Jesus, who's their best friend. He's their best friend. You want to have fellowship, it's good for us to have fellowship one with another, but we also need to have divine fellowship with the Lord. That divine fellowship with the Lord is established first first and foremost when we get saved, isn't it? You remember when the Lord established fellowship with you? I mean, I do. It was really good. And then I let a lot of the world get in the way and caused me to lose sight of what fellowship was really important. And we do that, don't we? That's where it's good to have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, both not only spiritually, but in, in phys- you know, naturally. They can bring you back. But don't be terrified of anything. But remember who your best friend is. Now, Jesus said this speaking to the apostles, but I believe it goes for everybody that's been saved. Greater love hath no man than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary so that every person that's ever existed in the world could be saved. Especially if it's after that point, there's no excuse. But Christ died for the sins of mankind all the sins of mankind, past sins, present sins, future sins, every sin. He died, he suffered on the cross of Calvary so that he might be, so that we might actually be able to be called his friends, right? And so here he's talking to the disciples and he says, and ye are my friends. Well, why does he call them friends? Now, first he says, if you do whatsoever I command you, We have to actually be obedient to the Lord to be His friend, don't we? We're going to have fellowship with the Lord. We have to have the fellowship with the Lord in spirit and truth, don't we? Not one without the other. Henceforth I call you not servants. For a servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Isn't it a good isn't it good to have the word? Isn't it good to have the scriptures so that we can get in there and dig in and find out those things which Christ has said which apply to our lives and that he has made those known to us so that we can have that kindred and that friendship with the Lord. We can have that fellowship with God and having that fellowship with God, our our spirit bears witness with the spirits of those also uh, that have that same kindred fellowship, doesn't it? I have had a lot of good times in life. And Amy knows I like to talk. 
She knows I like to talk a lot. <laughs> and Lily discovered that there's a different person. That dad, the dad that she's known most of her life is not is also a different person. And it was realized at Dollywood last year. Uh, she looked at me and she said, "Dad, when were when when did you become like this thrill-seeking guy?" And I said, "Honey, Daddy's always been a thrill-seeking guy because I was trying to get her on every roller coaster coming and going." I said, "Daddy's always been that thrill-seeking guy. I just had kids and I couldn't do that." And I said, "But guess what? I got a daughter that's thirteen now, and you know what?" She's going to get on, sorry, 12 at the time, I know. She was practically 13. <laughs> I saw her make a move. I knew what she was doing. She, nothing thrills her more than the correct dad. Sometimes I've got food on my feet. And she has to correct me when I'm singing. But I'll tell you, one of the best times is whenever I get in a conversation with somebody else that's saved. And when you really get to talking about the things of God, there's not a better time in my life when that happens. It's the most joyful time. It is when you engage in fellowship over the Lord, it is it is the best time. As a believer, I believe, as somebody who's been saved, I believe that nothing trumps that fellowship that we have in the Lord. And so as we get ready to go back and enjoy a period of fellowship, let, I, I, let us have a good time together. Um, but let us also remember who we're having fellowship in. And uh, and that's in the Lord. And if you're here today and you're lost and, and you've never known God, the saving power of God, well, you know what? Fellowship can wait. Because you know what? As much as we would like to enjoy fellowship in the back, if there's somebody here that doesn't know the Lord and free pardon forgiveness of sin, we'd much rather wait and see one enter into that fellowship with the Lord than rush back to eat. So, Brother Williams, if you've got a song ready, why don't we have a verse or two of song? I have a feeling I know what we're singing, but I could be wrong. Probably am. Hope I am. But uh, that's probably going to be the one. But uh, while we stand and sing.